0: June 21st, 2015, a Sunday at Mother's Emanuel in Charleston, South Carolina, Reverend Novell Goff said these words, where only a half week before such great evil had descended upon his church that nine had been killed during Bible study by racial hatred and evil. As he spoke in the first sermon after the massacre, He said this, we ask questions, Lord, we ask why. We cannot help it. It's our human nature. But through it all, those of us who know Jesus, as we find ourselves engulfed in sadness and darkness, and as we find ourselves walking through the shadow of the valley of death, for those of us who know Jesus, we can look through the windows of our faith and we see hope. We see light, and we hear your voice saying, I am with you. Friends, when I hear testimonies like this, I am reminded of the depth, of the riches, of the gospel we preach, believe in, and stand on in the unending hope it gives us. I'm reminded, church, that Jesus is everything. I'm reminded that Jesus is everything. In that it is truly all about him. What is God's purpose behind your marriage or your singleness, your family, your career, your money, your life, your death, and eternal destiny so that in everything Christ might be glorified? Now, granted, there are those people who say that Jesus is just a drug to numb us from our pain or Jesus It's just a way to control the masses. Or Jesus is something that allows us to ignore reality. But for us who have tasted of his goodness and seen his glory, Jesus is our life. Jesus is our everything. When everything else is breaking apart and the world is in total chaos and there's a smile and a subtle peace in our spirit, it is because we know the Lord Jesus Christ. But for us who tasted of his goodness, And seeing his glory, Jesus is our life. I feel like preaching this morning. Uh, Paul has been laboring to help us understand in the book of Romans the hope We have in the gospel, whether it be life or death. Paul has been laboring with all of his might up to this fifth chapter to convey to us, to communicate to us that this gospel that we hope in gives us life, be it life or death. Because in Jesus, we are never hopeless, past, present, or future. In Jesus We are never hopeless, past, present, or future. Help me, Holy Spirit. The Christian past. There is hope that we look upon even as we look back on our past. Because in our past, God declared us righteous. (laughs) God declared us righteous. That's enough for me to sit down right there. That's enough for me to take my seat right there. That God declared us righteous. This is what I've been preaching on for the past six months. That God declared us righteous. And Paul, at the first, at the opening of Romans 5, he starts out with a reminder or a summary statement of all he has been communicating to us. Justification by faith. Paul has argued that in the gospel, God reveals how he makes people right with himself. That in the gospel, encapsulated in the gospel, in the centrality of the gospel, God reveals to our hearts how he makes men and women right with himself. How we get to go to heaven rather than hell. How we are made right with the man upstairs. Justification is a sentence of acquittal and the imputation of God's righteousness in Christ. Not guilty before God's justice, but righteous. We are made right with God by having faith in Christ by his dying and his rising for our sins. That's why we can't stop talking about him. Everything good that happens to us is owing to God justifying us. Everything good that happens to us is built on the justification of Christ. Without the work of Christ, all would be justice and wrath and no salvation. Because the bad news is we were all going to hell because of our sins. But when we repented and put our faith in Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. And God declares us to be right with him. We learned last week that Abraham paints a clear picture of this. God declared Abraham righteous by having faith in the coming Messiah. All the way back in Genesis, God has been justifying us through faith. Psalm puts it this way. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions in sin. I'm so thankful that he removes them far, far, far away from me. Church, all of our sin is forgiven, all of our sin is under the blood. Jesus stands before the Father. Jesus, our perfect sacrifice. Jesus, our perfect mediator. Jesus, our atonement. Did he fail? Did he accomplish our justification? I declare to you this morning, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And he nailed it to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I bear it no more. Did you hear that? I bear it no more. Now, notice Paul says, we have been justified. We're not waiting to be justified. We're not hoping to be justified. We're not praying to be justified. We are justified. Now, you got some people that say, Jesus did his part. Now it's time for you to do your part. If he did not complete his task and justify us, we need to quit saying that Jesus paid it all and start saying that Jesus paid some of it. Uh That Jesus paid three-fourths of it. If we're going to say that there's still something for us to do, then we need to stop saying that Jesus paid it all. But Paul says we have been justified past tens. You are right with God, Christian. At some point in every Christian life, he must be justified because there is no such thing as a non-justified Christian. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a Christian who is not justified. If you're not justified, you're not a Christian. Everything that Paul is getting ready to say from this point on in Romans hangs or is built on The finished work of the cross. None of the blessings that Paul lists in the following chapters can apply to you if you've yet to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So after we are saved from our sin, what's next? God justifies us. That's enough to celebrate. But what's next? Is there anything else to rejoice over? Not only do we go from guilty to righteous, But we go from being at war with God to being at peace with God. Let me say that again. Not only do we go from guilty to righteous in Jesus, we go from being at war with God to being at peace with God. And this flows from us being made right with God. Now watch this. Because number one, because of Jesus, we have peace with God. Watch the verse. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. God is at peace with all those who have no sin, the justified. That's us. Christ has made a way for our sins to be paid for, and he has made us white as snow. God has no beef with us who are in Jesus. We are cool with God. So the foundation of peace with God is justification by faith. The way that you have peace with God is you got to be justified, and when you're justified, you're at peace with God. So to have peace with God, you have to believe in Jesus. And proof that you believe in Jesus is you have peace with God. Right? We have peace with God. Are you with me this morning? We are not seeking peace with God. But we possess it right now, in this moment, today, in this hour, we have peace with God. We are not seeking peace with God, but we possess it. Paul says we have it. Is it a temporal peace? Be sure to note that this peace is permanent. It does not change. We are forever at peace with God because the foundation which your peace is built on is the justification of Jesus Christ. And that cannot change. And so we have peace with God today. Now, what is this peace? Because the peace Paul is describing here is you and God are no longer enemies. <laughs> you and God are no longer enemies. You and God are no longer butting heads anymore. Plenty of people will argue that peace with God means you never have any pain in life. It means you have a nice bank account, and all your haters will have bad things happen to them. Some of you have been praying for that this week. Get them, God. Some people argue that the peace of God is when you get the career you always wanted. If you get the career, that's proof that you have peace with God. The big word today is favor. Favor. You see that money growing? God loves you. This is what people be- believe flows out of the cross. But if that's what you see, you're selling yourself super short. Amen. Super, super, super short. You're lowballing yourself. The cross offers us something greater than material things. Because in context, Paul doesn't mean any of these subjective things. But it's real simple. Before salvation... We were enemies of God. We didn't like God. You know you didn't like God. The Bible was a burden. You tried to stay far, far, far away from it. The church, <laughs> you didn't like the church. You talked about the church. This is before you were saved. I know you like the church now. Maybe. <laughs> but before salvation... We wanted to do our own thing. We wanted to live our own life. We wanted to go our own way. But when salvation came, we stopped fighting God. The war was over. We put our weapons down. We came to grips with the fact that what is wrong with my life is I'm fighting God. Come on now, church. The mess and the hell that was going on in your life is because you were fighting God. You wanted to do your own thing. God was convicting you, but before you would repent to God, you would curse God. Some of you may be feeling, I've never been at war with God. I always loved God. I would never say anything bad about the man upstairs, not me. Well, newsflash. You were at war with God, but even if you think you were not at war with God, God was at war with you. Oh, God was angry at you for your sins. This is what we learned at the beginning of Romans 1.18. God's wrath was burning hot towards the world, the sinners. God had one plan for you apart from Christ destruction, eternal hell. And can I suggest to some of you that the hell you're still experiencing in your life is because you have yet to surrender to Jesus Christ. People come to me all the time, I don't know what's wrong with my life. You can't live contrary to God's word and expect your life to be blessed. It's not going to happen. But in Christ, the war is over. In Christ, God was appeased, as it were, for all of his vengeance and all of his anger and all of his wrath found its full fury on Christ on the cross, did it not? And that's why it says in Colossians, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Having made peace Through the blood of his cross. How great is Christ? Peace is through who? Through Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. Peace is through Jesus Christ. No wonder he's called the Prince of Peace. He absorbs in six hours what it would have took you in eternity to absorb, the wrath of God. But he doesn't just do it for you, but he does it for a multitude of people. He doesn't just do it for a multitude of people, but First John says he keeps on cleansing us from all of what? Our sins. This is why we sing, the blood will never lose its power. Jesus was an overpayment. You see, the continual cleansing, the continual mediation, the continual washing of our sins provides us the maintaining of that reconciliation. Christ doesn't die and step away and say, okay, your turn. You step up to the plate. No. He remains the mediator between us and God. As long as Christ lives, we are friends of God. And how long does he live? Forever. Church, the war is over. It is over. You don't have to fight God anymore. And how long does He live? Forever. Maybe this will help you out. You ever went out to eat before? You ever went out to eat before? And everybody's sitting at the table and we're laughing and we're having fun and all is well. And, uh, and then the bill comes. And when the bill comes, everybody seems to get quiet at the table. That's sort of how sin is. Sin is fun until the bill comes. And so the waitress comes and she brings the bill. And all of a sudden, everybody gets quiet. One time, I was out with some friends and we're eating and the bill came. And everybody gets quiet at the table. But something different happens this time. The waitress lays the bill on the table. Then she comes back and gets the bill. And she says, somebody paid the bill for you. All of a sudden, this peace came over our table because some outside person had paid the bill for us. All of a sudden, our rejoicing was restored. Now, I could have did one of two things. I could have stayed at the table and argue with the waitress and said, I need to pay this bill. I could have argued with her, but here's the reality. Once the bill was paid, the restaurant didn't have any beef with me. All I had to do was get up and walk out the restaurant. No cops was coming for me. The manager wasn't coming for me. Why? Because the bill was paid. I came to tell you, Kristen, Christ paid the bill, and you need to get up from your table of guilt and walk in that peace that God is giving you. Get up, Christian, and no matter where you are and walk in peace. The debt is paid. You and God are good today. We need this, right? Because we stumble. Satan does accuse. God's not your enemy but your friend. In fact, in Ephesians 2.14, one of my favorite statements in all of the Bible, it says in Ephesians 2.14, he is our peace. Now, I want you to watch that. It's not that Christ brings us some abstract peace outside of himself. A lot of people think get Jesus and then Jesus will give you the thing that you want that will give you peace. But according to this, he is our peace. He is the very object of our peace. He is not something that we cross over. He is not the He is not the beginning. He's the end. He is not the means. He's the end. He is our peace. If you don't have Jesus, you cannot have the peace of God. Amen. And so when people come up to me and they say, Pastor Dexter, I'm not at peace with God. I say, why are you not at peace with God? Well, I haven't been reading my Bible and I haven't been evangelizing like I should. And I asked them, uh... Is devotion your peace? Is evangelizing your peace? No. Jesus is my peace. Good. Rest on him. Now go read your Bible and now go evangelize. Because a lot of people are like, well, you're telling people not to read the Bible. That's not what I'm doing. I'm telling them what the Bible says if they will actually go and read the Bible. Because what did Jesus say in the book of John? He says, you search the scriptures because in them you think that you have eternal life, but it is they that point to me. So I don't read my Bible so that I can be saved. I read my Bible so that I can know the one who saves me. It's a big difference. But peace is just the tip of the iceberg. In describing our relationship with God, many of us, when we make peace with our enemies, we still want nothing to do with them. Yeah, we cool. Just don't come over my crib. We cool, but you better not ask me for nothing. Oh, we good, bro. We good as long as I don't see you. Because if I see you, it's going down. You know, we like to build our own definition of forgiveness. I forgive you from a distance. I forgive you, but I can't stand to be around you. Come on. We didn't got to play holy this morning. And one person said forgiveness is a pretty word until you got something to forgive. <laughs> just stay over there, and I'll stay over here, and I'll keep my salvation, and you'll keep yours. It's just as simple as that, right? But God, with God, not only do we have peace, with God, but God actively pursues us with his grace. So not only do we go from, guilt to, from guilty to righteous, from war to peace, but we also go from no access to access. Not only do we go from guilty to righteous, from war to peace, but we go from no access to access. Let me explain. Because of Jesus, we have access to God. Paul goes on to say, look at the verse. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand. Now note that Jesus is still at the center of the stage. I want to pause there and note that because unless when you're doing an exegetical study of the Bible, unless Jesus is jumping out on the pages, you're not studying your Bible right. If Jesus is not the main point, you're not studying your Bible right. Paul centers Jesus still at the center of our text. Now know that Jesus is at the center. He is the one by which all of our blessings are coming through. In verse 2, Christ gives us access and to grace. Jesus opens the door of grace. I want to talk to you a little bit about this word access for a moment. Because this is a very interesting word. Jesus has given us, given us access to God. Now, wait a minute. Who has ever in the Old Testament had access to God? To go into the presence of God as a sinner, you were committing suicide. Amen. To go into the presence of God without doing the proper procedure, you would drop dead in a moment. We had people in the Old Testament that took God's presence as a joke. We had people who went into the holies of holies and they were not the high priests. And what happened to them? They dropped dead on the spot. In fact, there were people who were playing with the presence of God and the ground opened up on them. Now, that's something right there. You know you bad when you just open up the ground and bam, they just fell right into the ground. Yeah, they gone. Yeah, ain't no need for no grave. They in their grave. They ain't getting up no, there. ain't getting up out of that one. Open the ground. Right? You remember that one guy? They're moving the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel. The, the Ark of the Covenant gets ready to fall. He tries to catch it, and he dies. He thought he was more clean than the ground. No, 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 sinner. No one had access to God. No one. And so when Paul says this, I can just imagine the Jewish people grinding their teeth. What do you mean access to God? Who do you think you are, Paul? Who does Jesus think he is? They didn't have access because of their sins. Sin locks us out of the presence of God. And if we persist in arrogance that we can go into the presence of God anyways on our own accord, God will put us to death. No sinner has any right to the presence of God. No one. One thing God establishes from the very beginning as he drew those people out of Egypt to take them to their land was that you don't have access to me. Now, why do you think he did that? He wanted them to know that that they were unholy and he was holy. God wanted to communicate with clarity that he was holy and they were not holy. As we understand that we did not have access to God, what does this press upon our hearts how important Jesus Christ is. God doesn't put you to death because you are in Christ. Because of Christ, we approach a throne of grace and not a throne of wrath. Because of Jesus, we approach a throne of grace and not a throne of wrath. Christ gives us access. Christ is the key to the doorway that leads to the presence of God. That's why Paul says, but through Jesus, we have access to God. Now, this word access can also be translated introduction. Christ introduces us and brings us into the presence of God. Let me explain. In England today, if you are going to meet the queen, you have to be what is called presented. You can't just make an appointment and go see the queen. There are certain formalities that must be taught to you, essential procedures that must be understood before you can meet the queen. The way to gain access is you must be introduced or presented by someone of a favorable status. You can't meet the queen without this intro. The queen, in order to see the queen, somebody who the queen likes and loves must introduce you to the queen. If you go before the queen without that, there's hell to pay. Friends, Jesus is the person of status favor. Who introduces us to the Father? Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Let me help you out. Jesus said to him, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Jesus had to say, "Father, let me introduce you to Dexter Harris, one who I paid his sin price in full." And God says, "If he's all right with you." He's all right with me. You can't go into the presence of God talking about Muhammad or Buddha or your mama or your good works. You're going to die on the spot. But if you say, Father, I come in the name of of Jesus Christ, the Father going to say, that's all I needed to hear. Yeah, come on in here. I love I, I love this illustration that Tony Evans gives. He says that he was at the hotel, and he pulls out his key card, and he puts the key card on the door, and, and the door didn't open. He gets the red sign. You know what the red means? That means access denied. Come to find out, he went down, he said, something's wrong with my key card. The issue was is that he had a key to another hotel, and he was trying to access that hotel with a key to another hotel. The issue with people today is they keep trying to access the presence of God with all kinds of different keys. But God says there's only one key and the key is Jesus Christ. And when you put Jesus Christ up to the door, it says access granted. You can come on in, enjoy my glory, enjoy my presence, enjoy my peace, enjoy everything. Because of Jesus We have continual favor. Y'all know I ain't talking about that other favor y'all be hearing. What happens when we enter into the presence of God? What do we find? We find grace. By faith, this is what the verse says in verse 2. By faith and to this grace in which we stand. We approach God with confidence because of grace. We stand in grace. This is what this word stand means, hezimatai. Stand firm, stand solid. confident, stand fixed. We are abiding in a state of grace. Let me explain. Let us, with confidence, according to Hebrews... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. All right, let's back up a little bit here. Paul writes this verse in a way that communicates to us. We are always standing in grace. When we stand before God, our only boast is his grace. Many people think it is grace that saves me, but not grace that keeps me. God did his part. Now whatever else I receive after justification must be on the merit of how good I've been. No. You got saved by grace, and now you have to follow the rules is what they say. To stay in God's good pleasure. You have to keep the law. And if you break the law, you will fall from grace. It's not what he's saying. It says, you stand in grace. You are firmly fixed in an environment of grace. And grace is God, a merited forgiveness of sin. Jude puts it this way. Verse 24, just listen to this. It is so marvelous. Now unto him, get this, who is able to keep you from what? Falling. Falling. And to present you what? Faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So when you stand before God in his presence, what confidence or what are you standing on? What gives you confidence that you will not be put to death? What gives you confidence that God will not deny you? You see, in Christ, we are moved to a status of favor before God. God doesn't frown but smiles on you because of grace. Not because we deserve it, but because we are in Christ. If you're, this is Christ, if you're outside of Christ, no access, no grace. When you're in Christ, justified, peace, the grace of God is on you, and this is where you stand forever. Now, a lot of us What we get mixed up at is we say, God saved me, now I got to do my part, and we're trying to stand on our own works and our own merits. And if you stand on that, your relationship with God would be like an adjustable mortgage rate. Let me explain. When you take out a mortgage, you can get two types of loans out of others. You can get either a fixed mortgage loan or an adjustable mortgage loan. The difference is in adjustable mortgage loan, the interest rate changes depending on outward circumstances. One year the rate is up, one year the rate is down, you never really know. But the difference with a fixed mortgage rate is it doesn't matter what circumstances changes, it doesn't matter what the economy is, the rate stays to change for how long? Your entire life. I came to tell you, if you're standing on Jesus, you're standing on a fixed rate because Jesus will never change. You're standing on a grace that doesn't go up and down. You're standing on a grace that is not dependent on you. You're standing on a righteousness that is not dependent on you. You don't have to worry about it changing so you can get up and as long as you're in Jesus, You can put on your clothes, you can brush your teeth, you can walk out the door, you can be smiling and teasing, Oh, hell could be breaking loose. And they say, what you smiling for? Oh, you don't understand. His grace never changes. You don't understand. His grace never changes. It keeps flowing towards me. And so a lot of us, when we get in our, a lot of times when we get in our ruts and we get in difficulty, we say, God, where are you? God, do you love me? God, do you see me? Or if I'm going through hell, does he still love me? Am I still saved? Are you still walking with me? Man, I came to tell you that the love of God is not contingent on you. There's no variableness. There's no shakiness in his love. His love is consistent because the blood speaks on your behalf. Because the blood covers you. His love flows towards you. You tell Satan when he talks to you, when you stumble and when you fall and when you mess up, you don't go looking to what you've done. You look to Jesus Christ and you say as long as he lives, the grace of God is flowing to me. So what does all this mean? What does all of this mean? I want you to watch, watch the links to the unbreakable chain. Christ died for our sins, and he provides a way for us to be saved. We believe, and we go from guilty to righteous. Because we are righteous, God has no beef with us. Therefore, the next link to the chain is we go from war to peace with God through Jesus Christ right now, today. And because we are at peace with God, We can enter into the grace of God, where his infinite power no longer works against us, but for us. But what is the end goal of all of this? What is the point of all of this? What is the future hope for us? Oh, I love the end of verse 2. The end of verse 2 says, because of Christ, we will enjoy the glory of God. Friends, the greatest thing about being reconciled with God is you can enjoy his glory. Let me say that again. Y'all didn't get excited. The greatest thing about salvation is that you get God. Let me say that again. Y'all didn't hear me. the greatest thing about your salvation, the greatest thing about justification and sanctification and glorification is at the end of the day you give God the glory is coming. Friends, the greatest thing about reconciliation is the glory of God is coming. Let me talk to you for a minute. Because God is spirit. He is infinite and eternal and unchanging in his being, in his wisdom, in his power, in his holiness, in his justice, in his goodness, in his truth. God is great. I, I- Wish I can preach it like I feel it in my heart this morning. I'm trying to convey to you that glory is coming. Nothing will satisfy us more like the glory of God. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4:17, this almost knocked me off my feet. It says, For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. In other words, it doesn't matter what I go through in this life when I step into glory, is not going to matter anymore. When I step into glory everything that I went through ain't going to be thinking about it anymore but that's not the only thing that the Bible says I went over to Revelations and Revelation says his glory, I'm sorry y'all, I'm getting excited because when I think about the glory of God, I can't help but to rejoice. In Revelations 21-23 he says, in the city has no need of sun or moon to shine upon it for the glory of God is the light and his lamp is the Lamb of God. I don't think y'all heard me, when Jesus shows up, he's going to put the sun and the moon out of business. He's going to shine so bright. It ain't going to be no need for no sun. It ain't going to be no need for no light. And I don't know about you, I'm rejoicing because of that, but I got some, some carnal stuff that I'm rejoicing over too because when he's sure ain't no more nipsco either because I don't need that light anymore because he's going to be enough for me. But hold on. I was rejoicing too. And then it says that I went over to Exodus and, and I was wondering, Moses, God has delivered you from here and he, he spread the Red Sea and, and he made you come over and he rained bread out of heaven and quail out of heaven. Moses, what else could you want? What else can you ask God for? God has done tremendous and amazing things. And Moses got the audacity, the unmitigated gall to stand up before God and say, God, show me your glory. I don't care what else you give me. Make sure that you give me your glory. Don't send me into a land full of milk and honey. If you don't give me your glory, oh, the glory of God is coming. Now here's the thing. When I look at Martin Luther King and people like him who laid down their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ, what did Martin Luther King say when he knew that death was coming to get him? He said, I've been to the mountaintop and back. Oh, come on. The reason why he didn't care about his life and Is because he tasted the glory. Come on, the reason why saints give over their lives is because they tasted the glory. I went over to Acts and I seen a strange, a strange story by the first martyr in Christian history. His name was Stephen. He was in the stoning pit. They threw stones at him, but he was still rejoicing because the Bible says he seen the glory of God. There's something about the glory of God that tells us no matter life or death or hell, I'm going to be all right. Let me give you this and I'm going to be in my seat. I went to uh, Trader Joe's with my wife a couple weeks ago. We were trying to get away. You know, you got to happy wife is a happy life. And so me and her, we like to go up to Sean Bird. We don't do nothing real special, but we get a room, we go out to eat, and we just enjoy one another. And so we like to do a little grocery shopping out there at Trader Joe's. Some of y'all know what Trader Joe's I'm trying to eat healthy. Y'all pray for me. It ain't going well. All right? So we're in the grocery store. And you know, when you go to Sam's Club and you go to Trader Joe's, they got this little thing if you're hungry. They give you these little samples. How many people love samples? I love samples. I be going back three, four times with different facial expressions like they ain't seen me. How that tastes, bro? That's good? Thanks. So I woke up and they're serving this cucumber watermelon juice. I take a sip of it. I was like, ooh, this this is good right here. It was so good that I ran to the other side of the store to tell my wife about it. I said, babe, you got to taste this. This is good. She tasted, she testifies that it's good. She said, won't you go over there and get a gallon so when we go home, we'll have more to have. And so the whole time we're riding home, I can't wait to get home so that I can get more of what I tasted. Y'all don't know where I'm going yet, but what I'm trying to say to you on this journey in life for us who have tasted a little bit of Jesus, we can't wait till we get home so that we can taste all the glory of God. We ain't getting samples no more. He said he's gonna lavish All of the glory on us. And so the reason why I keep on going is because the glory is coming. I know I got bad news from the doctor, but the glory is coming. I know that there's been a jacked up week, but I'm still going because the glory is coming. The glory of God is coming one day. Friends, I don't know about you. But I can't wait to that great day when there's no more samples of Jesus. There's no more here and there of Jesus. I can't wait till I have the full portion of my Lord and Savior. And the reason we can always rejoice in God is not because the Christian life is easy. It isn't. The Lord knows we suffer in this life. The reason is that the glory of God is great beyond all, all imagining, and Jesus Christ is ours. It is why we live. We are living for Christ. And the best thing about the gospel is we get God. Friends, ain't nobody like Jesus. Ain't nobody like Jesus. Won't you just turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor? Ain't nobody. Like Jesus. Man was dying at the nursing home. He was on his deathbed. It was my final years at the nursing home. And I came into his room to talk to him. And he stopped taking medicine. And he said this to me. I'm at peace. I'm ready to see my God. I don't know about you. But I hope when my day comes, I'll be standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing with all of my heart that Jesus has paid it all. And even if I die, it's going to be all right because I'm at peace with God. Let's give God some glory this morning.